Let's go. Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, finding your voice, radical authenticity, and getting in the zone. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. John? Yes? We had John on today. We did another John. I've said for years we need more John in the studio. And today (laughs) we did. I've been uh, in the opposition of that. I've been on the other side. But yeah, Mr. John Williams, Williams of John, was in the studio today. And and it's been a, a while coming. We had initially reached out many months ago. And he he was just like it's not it's not the time. No. And we didn't really know why, but we trusted him. And now we know why. It's because he left his job ten years at the zone in Victoria here and is now starting his new, his own new internet radio station. What was that? So we get into that more in part two of the question because this is going to be a two-part conversation. This was a two-part conversation. We kind of thought going into it that the guy knew how to talk. I mean, the, the first part, I mean, in this part, you're going to get to know the guy behind the voice because most people just know the voice. Yeah. They, they could pick, they pick the voice. I mean, his voice is pretty unique anyways. Yeah. You'll hear who he was before he started on The Zone. You'll hear the, the real evolution of, of his, his identity because he went from having a, a number of different identities really playing a part in in his own life playing many different parts in his own life and and kind of brought those all together through some um incredible self work that he's done so yeah you'll hear all of that and then in in part two we will continue the story and kind of bring it up to today but the reason that we we wanted to bring john williams on i think is is quite important it's not just because he's on the radio he's a he's got a big local following and, and i'm sure many of you who are listening right now are, are part of that and, and support what he does and and who he is really it's it's the message that he he has been bringing into the community of victoria for the last 10 years that that really brought us in and wanted to to share and, and have this conversation and and it went uh you know even better than we could have imagined well and andrew you've never been what what i'd call gaga over any guests and <laughs> i don't know if you're gaga over anybody but uh you know, this is some. This is a guest you've been very excited about for many months. Yeah, and uh, it's probably because you've been listening to him actually for for a long time, maybe from the beginning. Probably, and, yeah. I've been lis- a zone listener for a long time. Still, I am. But basically, because I like the music that they would play. Yeah, that, yeah. That's generally how people choose radio stations. Whatever music they identify with, that's what radio station they're going to listen to. But John's voice was always. Um, actually, maybe not always. Maybe that's part of the story. Is that of late he's he's really been a, a refreshing, real, authentic personality coming to himself. Yeah, yeah. O- on the radio, and, and he's speaking about things that are that make you think, that make you go, "Wow, I, I'd like to hear more about that." And and that's what um, compelled me to initially reach out to John because it, it's uh, it's it's been incredible what what he's done in the conversations that he's started through just playing music on the radio but in between the music there was there was substance and well and to be such a public figure and to just be so okay and honest about who you are and what you're struggling with takes vast amounts of courage mm-hmm. and this is something John's become quite well known for um he, he he shared openly about his mental health struggles about his abuse that he's that he's um endured and uh that that is a terrifying thing to do 
Um, especially, especially when when people kind of just hear the voice and they don't ever get to really meet you. All the, all they all they know of you is what you say. And so the fact that he says the truth says so much about who John is. Yeah, and there's been a lot of people over the years that have been against his messages, in, including potentially you know the the corporation that he worked for. Uh, and and we'll get into all that and and a lot more. So I think that's uh, that's about all we need to say. We're We've given the gist. It's a, a conversation that we've been excited about, and and we're even more excited about it now that we're able to release it and uh, and support the work that John's doing now. Enjoy, folks. Let's officially yeah. let's make this. Should we welcome? Him? Real. I don't know. I should think we, we should. We should welcome. I said, just start. People will know who he is. How many British people do we have on our show? We're really excited to have you on. And uh, indeed, would you like? Is it John? John Williams or Williams of John? Is that how right? Would you like that's hitting all the angles. My name is technically Jonathan, but it's John Williams. Williams of John is the old. Search me for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If anyone still tweets, <laughs> we don't. So we no. can't. We can't confirm or deny. But yeah, we're, we're super thrilled to have you on. And we thought it would be a kind of fun place to start with the art of the interview. Right. And what, I mean, you aren't often on this end of interviews. You, you've had the opportunity to be on the other end with some of the biggest bands on the planet in the last few months, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, very uh, fortunate. But uh, what do you think makes a good interview? Not being something that you aren't, just being yourself. Mm-hmm. and we touched on this when we had the conversation leading up to this just to check in with each other when you reached out and it's for me you can't walk into an interview and expect an answer if you don't show them that connection to it and and what your purpose behind that question is if you want to talk about mental health you can't just jump in and say oh I've seen in a previous interview with Rolling Stone you said that you had a real battle with addictions and mental health Tell me about that. Yeah. That's a loaded question. And me as a detailed person and someone who's bipolar as well and who's gone through multi-personalities, when you ask me that, I have a million books I want to pull out of my library and start going through and telling you because the context of the journey in every single part of it is so key. So for me, the art of a great interview is connecting, looking in the eyes, showcasing that energy and trust, and you build that and it either builds or it doesn't. And a lot of the time you've only got 10, 12 minutes. And a lot of the time you're on the phone. So how are you supposed to emit that energy through a landline to someone halfway across the world or down in LA or whatever it might be? But you need to be able to be openable, uh, openable, answerable (laughs) and open and raw. And the real trick, and I've had this battle with Boss Man who I've loved for years where he would say, this is really good, but sometimes don't you feel that you share a bit too much about yourself when we're trying to get info about them? And we've had these great discussions of growth over the years where I'm like, what well, they're not going to answer that question unless exactly. they feel yeah. trust the trust of where it's coming from. Yeah, exactly. So you just can't open the yeah. can and throw them all in and expect to catch fish. Yeah. Right? But it's a balance, right? Because we all hear those interviews where the interviewer brings it back to themselves every time. So so you really got to... It, it's a ping pong thing. Yeah, and it's, it's you know? everyone's going to have their own unique style. I do sometimes listen back and go... I did maybe a bit too much on that bit. But then I listen back for a second or third time and go, no, I don't think I would have got that answer if I hadn't told them that bit exactly, about myself. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brene Brown, who's somebody we bring up on the podcast fairly regularly, and this, this relates big time because she says that 
Uh, a lot of people think once you have trust with someone, then you can be vulnerable. But it's actually the other way around is that you need to be vulnerable with people to create trust. That's brilliant. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and even just having a conversation like this, we want it. We want there to be vulnerability and openness, just, just like you're saying. And, and it's, it's even probably harder to do with people who are, you know, in the biggest bands in the world that are just getting pestered all the time and, and their privacy is invaded. Uh, but to try to establish some sort of trust, I think it is, um, is so key to, to having a real conversation with somebody, which is what you want to express in, in a good interview. Yeah, for me, there are three three massive moments in my career that I'm really proud of. And a lot of people, it's okay to be proud of something you've done. It doesn't mean you're an arrogant POS. No, totally. It's okay to be proud of something you've done. And I really pride myself on interviewing and on connecting with people. And I'll never forget, we were talking about Nothing But Thieves before this interview started, one of my favorite bands. And I was so lucky to, the boss man flew me over to Vancouver in Harbor Air, scared the crap out of me because I'm not a great flyer but I'm improving um, it was really adorable they they rang ahead and told them like can you put John in the front because yeah. he might pass out <laughs> yeah. and so I'm in the front with like this pilot I believe they call them yeah. yes I'm going back to that moment and I'm getting nervous Typically. thinking about it now <laughs> and he was like so I've heard that uh, you aren't the most comfortable of flyers <laughs> and I was like yes and he's like well put on this headset and don't touch any buttons and listen in to our controls and you will see the whole way there it will be a safe smooth journey he didn't sound like this at all no. actually I sound like James Acaster side note one of the most incredible upcoming British comedians that everyone must research okay. he never swears it's never vulgar he is a genius mm. James Acaster okay, well. because his voice is a lot like this <laughs> that's my style anyway perfect we'll throw it in the show notes look, look, yeah. up, look him up um, yeah. and so yeah fly, so they flew me over I, I survived uh, the pilot was adorable go downtown, get to hang out with the band for like five minutes. And that's where I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to, like we were just touching on, just show my intention, who I am, what I'm after. And that's, I'm not trying to lead you down a dark path and try and surprise you with questions and be, no, no. And so just, you know, having a cigarette, whatever we're doing, walking around downtown. Okay, let's go inside now. And I spoke with, with two of the five members at the time. And Connor, the lead singer, was the one that I really wanted to poke into, I didn't realize that actually Connor, the lead singer, doesn't write any of the lyrics. Hmm. Which is fairly unusual. Yeah. Um, I have that. I can, thank you. More of that uh, fabulous tea. Oh, we'll keep it flowing in there, man. I forget. Oh, I, I terribly have a, I've had a mind fart. I forget. Joe, sorry. Joe is the, the lead guitar player and he writes the lyrics. And I remember sitting there and saying, I'm fascinated by these lyrics because I relate to a lot of these. And so where did these come from? And Connor went, well, I actually don't write any of them. I just do mm. the melodies. Mm. Uh, Joe writes most of it. And when that was confirmed, I looked at Connor and said, so I, as a young man, used to wear odd socks all the time because it guaranteed people would start a conversation with me. And I was abused when I was a kid, not by my parents, but by strangers, sexually abused as a 10-year-old. And... As much as I craved attention, I was petrified of it. So what I did to teach myself sort of to work on my own braveness or social ability was I would wear those odd socks because I noticed that it really got people going. They were either really into it or they're really against it. But the one thing they do when they notice is they come over and they demand to speak to you. And so I liked the fact that people without me knowing at any moment would run across the room and go like, why have you got those on? 
and it would be like it would work on me reacting to not being scared of a stranger or someone being loud around me or coming up from behind because that's you know these things that happened when I was young and his jaw dropped and I said well hang on a second I haven't asked a question there <laughs> I said is that why you've dyed your hair peroxide blonde because you've got to this stage now where you've got all these people that adore what you're doing and want to connect with you and be around you but there's still some unresolved self-doubt and anxiety mm-hmm. and this is your way of saying yes i am a rock star damn it people are looking at me let's yeah. go i gotta work on this confidence yeah. and he just yeah and you can hear it i can send you guys the interview he went no one i'll never forget it N- wow no one has ever put that to me before that is exactly why i did this and that was a really powerful moment. Would I have got that if I said, oh my God, your hair is so blonde? <laughs> no. Would I have got no. that if I went, hey, I dyed my hair blonde once? Oh, God, I look like such an idiot. How do you feel in it? What would that have got? Well, and what that authenticity and that vulnerability does is it, is it destroys the autopilot responses. Yes. Which is the, which is the sh- like, that's where interviews go to die. And you can tell when you watch these MTV or backstage yeah. at, uh, festival interviews, when yeah. you see an artist yeah. who is leaning really far forward or really far, or really far, really far back, oh my, why is this so difficult? If they're forward or back, yeah, yeah, One they're not into it. No. When they sat, when they're sat comfortable, like I am with you guys right now, and they're looking around, they're they're into it. Absolutely. And you, and I have heard people sit up on the phone. I've heard people move around and be like, "Yo, I was lying in bed. I want to like go to the couch now." Like when I did, <laughs> I won't say who that was. <laughs> um, and. And Brody Dahl was another really powerful one of my, and mm. I was saying to you before this chat as well, like, you know, some of the interviews that I've corrupted files or lost and I have a backup on my phone, but it sounds like crap, but at least it's a memory of it mm-hmm. because uh, my Zoom didn't work ironically at the time because mm. I didn't put Phantom Power on the mics I had. We, we had, uh, we yes. interviewed a oh, 96 uh, year old <laughs> World War II veteran oh, no. and, <laughs> and went to his home. Oh, he invited us into his God. home. It was a Remembrance Day episode. Yeah. And... Yeah, Zoom issue, lost, lost it. Yeah. But luckily, he was kind enough to invite us back. He was still yeah, alive, I, and we went back. Oh, I, my goodness. When I realized yeah. that, I was mortified. I, oh, I, it, was it was like horrible. the lowest moment of the yeah. podcast. Yeah, because then it's like, how do you go back and have you an can't recreate conversation it. again? You can't. No, no. no we just, but what you can do is use that as a foundation to explore even more, because exactly. you know there's more. And yeah. you know what? I think the second one was better. I agree. Well, there yeah. you go, right? Yeah. 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 Um, one of the interesting things... That you said there, and I, I thought there was a potential um, dichotomy because the the socks that you wear bringing attention in, um, and then when you talked about Connor's bleached hair, it, it made me think of your hair and how you've said that it kind of was something to hide behind um, and, and was protecting yourself a little bit, um, but then also there was the the socks that were drawing people in, and yeah. I, I just wondered like, there's what a catch twenty two, yeah, a bit of a dichotomy. <laughs> you know? So is is yeah. there anything in that? Or do you think it was... There's lots in it. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what does that bring you to? Well, and we will come back to Brody Dahl. But the the answer to... I mean, yeah, the, the context behind that is that my parents, who I loved to bits, you know, it was, a, it was a three back and size scissor cut uh, until I was 18 years old. And obviously as a young adult, we I could choose, but like it was just, yeah, okay, I'll do the same thing again and again. And then, then I got to like 18, 19, and I was like, well, I might just... We'll see how this goes. And then, because for me, the way that I've always described it is, 
uh, and just in case people, I mean, I, I suppose we should have given, maybe you can in your introduction for people, but just as a second warning, like this, this might be harrowing to some people. But when I was sexually abused as a 10 year old, the way that it happened is I remember people, the two guys coming in the room at my elementary school when I was in the bathroom. I remember them smashing me against the wall when I was peeing at the urinal. But then I just, I just have moments where I woke up every now and again. So something that's always haunted me is that I don't recall everything that happened. And so when I've met people that have been raped or abused, no matter what their age, I always feel that I can't really connect with their pain because I didn't, it's still something that I'm not, I'm still unsure about it. Like I wasn't awake. I remember at the end when I was being drowned in the toilet and waking up gasping like what the hell is going on and being dunked like a chicken nugget and flipping ketchup as this thing's just flushing. And I remember that. So like the near drowning, which is why I still can't swim, even though I'm comfortable in a swimming pool, not the ocean. Don't trust the whales. (laughs) Um, Love the whales. Don't trust the whales. Don't trust the sea lions. Don't trust even the uh, starfish because it's just something I haven't got over yet. Um, How are you not drowned? Like, how did that end? I think they they thought I was Hmm. because after six dunks that I'll never forget, they just dropped me and my body just flapped over and you know in the cubicle and then they were gone never saw their faces no idea who they are you still have no idea I who still they have are. no idea who they are they never caught them never caught them really? small town crudwell wiltshire south of england no sense of oh my no. gosh no because at the same time the headmistress didn't believe me wow oh that's awful um hmm. my mum did but but uh, the school didn't, so nothing was done. Small town, no one needs to know about this. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so when you ask about the socks, so to, the point of that context is that as I grow up, what I've always said to counsellors, to anyone that's listened about this sort of conversation or had this kind of conversation with me is that for me, when I was 20, when I was 21, was when I started doing what 13, 14-year-old boys might be expected to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really into you. Like, I'm, oh, I'm, I, I kind of want to have sex. I want to date. I want to do these things. Right. How the hell do I do it? Yeah. And that's not to say that I didn't try and date people when I was 15, 16, 17, 18. I tried really hard because when you're growing up in high school and so-and-so's got a girlfriend and so-and-so's got this, you think that that's social value. Oh, I need that. And yeah, I'm petrified of it. And... I, was, I had things through school where other guys noticed that I'm not confident. And so there were guys in communal showers that are 18 and I'm 14, 15 that are like, have you ever seen this before? And smacking me with that and, you know, mm-hmm. checking this out. Yeah. And so it's extremely concerning. But while I was like, I know I've got love that I'd like to connect with someone with, the thought of sex and all that repulsed me until I was 20, 21 years old. Yeah. But I knew that I wanted to connect with someone heartily just someone to talk to that was a female. Like how maybe, I don't know. I still don't know what it was. I just wanted to have that connection and it, and it never came through. So the, the, the second person, because the first person I kissed was at a leaving party when we were 18 and someone just pecked me on the, chip, on the lips, the chips, and said, John, mate, no one's ever kissed you. And that was it. My first ever kiss, and I won't mention her name, was when I was 23 years old mm-hmm. in Oak Bay. Mm-hmm. And if she listens to this, we're still dear friends, she will laugh because it took six hours for me to build the strength to just kiss Mm. a peck. It took from after dinner all the way until two in the morning outside Mm. when I was leaving. 
and it was like torture. I was going, I want to, but I'm scared and I want to. She's like, you could trust me. I'm like, I know I could trust you, but what do I do? And if anyone was listening out on that street in Oak Bay, which is very quiet because they have very particular rules in Oak Bay at 2 a.m., they would have heard like a horrible melodrama. Like, is this Nashville? Just kiss her, just kiss her. And, you know, and then it was just a two second thing and I and it evaporated like 50% of what the worry was. Hmm. So when you ask about the hair, when I moved here, I was like, I've always wanted to be that rock and roll dude. So let's see. I've been through emo and all these different looks as a teenager, right? The prog guy, the emo guy, the just I'm a farmer guy, <laughs> everything. Because I was from a farm town, farm county rather. And so I grew the hair out because, and, and a really bad beard, because it did give me a sort of um, both a caricature that I wanted to try out and also a, a mild shield of and, and an excuse. Like, oh, I didn't see him in my peripheral. Like, tiny, tiny, tiny nuances. Um, and it wasn't much more than that. I wanted to try it. I wanted to try that character. Um, the tattooing, my dad's always said, oh, I think you're addicted to pain. Mm. <laughs> Why have you got all these tattoos? And um, so you, you've I shared... built that rock and roll guy in my early 20s. And now I know that I, I know who I am now. And that is that I don't need this long hair and I don't need to hide my face and my yeah. eyes. And yeah. Because you've shared in the past about feeling ashamed towards your body massively yeah i've had body confidence issues and still do now i've i've been in an amazing and full and head over heels relationship just starting before covid and really open and I, I and i said like look and and she's also someone that well i won't speak for her i won't speak for her but we have a lot in common and so body trust and communication is paramount and key for sure and even if one night i'm frisky i always i always flip it i almost swore that i always ask oh yeah we I swear always right. check can i hug you can i kiss you that's yeah. a me thing can Bound- i shake your boundaries hand? that's what yeah. i do yeah if i've got established boundaries of a friend and i know we're going to fist bump or hug yeah, that's yeah. different but even with my lover even with someone that i love to bits yeah i will not just roll over and start playing hey how are you feeling do you want to do this oh yeah okay I'm not going to do it because it makes me feel disgusting because I never gave anyone permission to touch me multiple times growing up and it happened. We know there's several listeners who have experienced sexual abuse just based on the stats alone. And so what I was wondering is, um, has a therapist help help you get to this point? Yeah. Okay. So you, you would say oh, for, yeah. for anyone listening who's gone through this, if definitely seek out therapy. But you've got to find your one. Right. You've got to find your human. Yeah, I and I'm sure many people have done the same have said until I was 24, 25 I know me better than anyone else and no one's coming in my brain and telling me what's up with it yeah yeah I'll yeah. fix it yeah that's a dangerous game to play oh, for sure yeah and I, I wanted to even before that great question I, I wanted to kind of zone in on that period of your life when I mean you talk about your dad saying you're addicted to pain and and maybe that's not the correct terminology but you're certainly experiencing it and and having to cope with the the after effects of that abuse and i'm wondering what in that time when you weren't seeing a counselor when you weren't even really allowed to talk about it um with at school or even maybe with your family um it got hushed up how did you cope i drank a lot Mm -hmm. of vodka yeah so i was actually telling my partner about this last night one of my best friends who a few months ago we had a long chat and I was like I got a 
burst your bubble on the story that you've always told about me when you thought I was absolutely hammered because I had been drinking. It's that classic tale of the kids find their parents in the dining room, might open up the cupboard and there's some, there's some alcohol or what you might say in North America liquor under there. <laughs> yeah. And my sister, who's four years older than me, you know, when I'm 15, um, four and a half, five years older, um, there's a vodka bottle in there. And so it was see-through and I thought, well, I'll just try this. Mm-hmm. And it helped me sleep because mm-hmm. every time I slept, the nightmares were horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you add on all the people in your life that don't know what happened to me and the, and the uncles and aunts who I love, who I do love and appreciate. And, and we've made for the most part our peace with this because I felt so guilty about the times that they said, why aren't you just jumping in the swimming pool? And mm. all the times they pushed me in the swimming pool and said, why can't you learn yet? And they know all these years, 20 years later that that's, that really didn't help me. Uh, I don't hold that against them. They didn't know. I mean, it was still kind of cruel, but the world's changed a lot since then. Like it mm. used to be okay to say, and smash elbows on tables if you weren't you know polite at the table when you're eating the world's changed a bit since then for mm. the better mm-hmm. um so yeah i drank i drank a lot to sleep um i was at a boarding school so my parents who were pretty shocked to hear of that uh, when i wrote that blog when i was 23 it was my way of doing it, it was i'm just going to write a blog and then put it out there because no one's going to let me list no one i need to just they just need to read this and so when they're reading like, oh, you ran away from school and you were drinking and you smuggled in alcohol at school, how did you do this? Well, I was four hours away at a boarding school. Um, and that was so odd that, you know, we didn't have a home, but, my, but I learned later my grandparents were paying for me to go there, hmm. which was very, very kind of them. So that's another thing. When I talk about any homelessness, which we were, but we weren't, we were fortunate. We weren't on the street, but we were homeless. For, we didn't have a home for six years. So I'm always very careful of how I attach to these things. Like, yes, I volunteer at our place and I have a, 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 these are people that need to be treated like people. And there are many circumstances that come into why this situation is happening. But again, I'll never look in the, in the eyes of someone that's lived on the street for six years and say, I know how you feel. I don't. Hmm. But I can relate to this, the anxiety and the hmm. worry of it. But I still don't know that story. It's unique to them, every individual. So a lot of drinking a lot of sleeping um, and that was what became really dangerous a few years ago when I was going through a rut of the zone and felt like I was just going stale and what am I doing and I can't do this or do that and I'm not getting this chance or that chance wherever it might be and I found myself finishing the shift and going to bin four because I moved downtown or Moxie's and just sitting for six hours and drinking and spending $200 a day drinking all the anxiety away. Why am I still petrified of having a relationship? Why aren't I, right? And to finish my point with the body confidence thing that John brought up, which is in being with with this wonderful person, it's still shown me that there are times when I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough and maybe I'm not this and that and that. And so there is still some insecurity that I need to tap in. And that's really important because anyone that thinks that they've completely got hold of their mind, I'm afraid you have not. Mm-hmm. The battle will never end. Mm-hmm. It's how you build the tools to cope with Absolutely. what you know affects you in a negative way and turn it into positive. So through all the vocalization of these things with my partner, like now, it's like I just go, do you know what? In this situation, can we wait five minutes? Yeah, whatever it might be. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously that's saying a lot without saying anything, but the battle is always there. And so the coping mechanisms that I've now got rid of, I mean, I haven't drank in nearly two years. Um, 
and it's it's not cool you know when i i remember my and to, to fully answer to finish this question i think to put a bookmark in it um is for my 30th birthday three years ago and went to vancouver uh to see a few shows i believe cat empire one of my favorite bands that are tattooed here the, the cat and the scar mm-hmm. hat on my right arm amazing australian band everyone must look out for because they're just going to bring you so much joy so much joy and I remember some of my friends in Vancouver bragging to some of these musicians because I got to hang out with them saying, oh, it, no one can drink like John. Like, he'll drink you under the table. And, and when you think about it, especially in English culture and Australian culture, which they are, it's all about drinking. Mm-hmm. Let's go down to the pub in lunch break. Let's go down to the pub afterwards. Let's go down to the pub. And I was like, I don't know if I want that to be, or if I wish, I don't like to use the word want, too much but i don't think i wish that to be how you describe it someone i've just met mm-hmm. here's john he'll drink you under the table <laughs> right doesn't sound you know <laughs> right maybe it could be here's john he you're his i don't know i i won't I, it, it, and that was when it really hit me i was like oh and then the year later when i'm sat at the bar and my mum sent me as i told you before in our in our chat i believe a week or so ago to get ready for this which was when my mum sent me that package with all those she'll send me a yearly package of all the cutouts of the newspapers and magazines Anything you might be interested in, Jonathan. Here's this DJ. Here's this musician. Didn't you go to school with this guy? Whatever it might be. And I remember reading about Steve Wright. And I think I told you this right, didn't I? No, actually. Oh, well, Steve Wright is, is a BBC Radio 2 DJ. Uh, John Peel, Steve Wright, Chris Evans. Uh, these are some of my biggest inspirations as, as DJs hmm. growing up. Um, Zoe Ball, um, Joe Wiley. Um, these are some people that I, I think are just class and class radio DJs that lead by example by being themselves and they give a massive SHIT about who they're playing and who they're talking to massive community minds but Steve Wright for me was just the messiah um, and he was always very open about oh I'm you know let's say if I convert to pounds I'm 300 pounds I'm 150 I'm 250 he was always going all over the place and my mum basically long story short which is my favourite catchphrase because I never tell a story that's short <laughs> I was at the bar. I was five pints and four shafts and a shot in. I had a new dark matter and a, uh, gosh, what do you call them now? The, the, the Victoria thing, the coffee, vodka. Shafts. Shafts. Did I just say that? And I yeah, forgot? you did. You yeah. did say it. See, that's yeah. how, right. Classic my brain. Like. <laughs> Goldfish. Um, my best friend Alex always described me as the kind of person that could rip you apart sarcastically and then turn around and immediately forget what I said. To you. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, a, that's a great bio. I stand by that after all these years. Um, but I, I'd had my next shaft and beer round come round, and I was opening its envelope, and everyone at the bar was, "Oh my gosh, John, what have you got?" And I said, "Oh, it's my mum." And there was all these cutouts and pictures of the dogs and my brother and sister and everything and their kids. And this Steve Wright thing that was four pages of him saying, "I've been an alcoholic for twenty-five years." This is why I've lost my marriage. This is why I've lost all these connections. This is why my I've been filtered around from drive to overnight back to this as the station tried to work with me to get better. And I was reading this, drinking, going, remember that feeling however many months ago when someone was bragging about you drinking a lot? That just needs to stop now. And I finished the article and I was crying and then the bartender's said are you okay like why have you like I, I welled up I wasn't like full on but like it was clear that my eyes had welled up and I was like holy sugar and sugar or honey ice and tea which is a which is a bring me the horizon song that I think is so clever no one gives a sugar honey <laughs> ice and tea so just anyway I've just seen that on the way here um 
And I said, when I come back tomorrow, you're going to limit me to six pints. And when I come back the next day, five pints. And we're going to bring this down to three pints a day within the week. And I went to every bar that I frequent, whether it's Ferris's, Fiamo, Fifth Street, Moxie's, right? When you drink, you've got bars because you've got the bar you go to when the bar's like, I think you're done here. Mm. Because then you're good for that one drink and then they'll go, I think you're done here. And then you've got five other bars. I mean, that's it's a pretty sad state of affairs for me, not speaking for anyone else, speaking for me, it was a pretty sad state of affairs. But this is what's amazing in going to them and saying, I mean this. And they all stay to it. Yeah. So I'm curious, at that point, when you decided, when you went down from six to five to four to three, and then eventually you stopped, mm. um, you'd used alcohol as a coping mechanism for so long. Mm. What did you replace it with? M&M's for a few months. The, uh, I've always eaten M&M's, but I had a lot more M&M's. What's the word for it when you, when you stop drinking and you go through a cleanse and it's called uh, something else? Detox. Detox. My body's been through some interesting stuff over the years. That was one of the most aggressive two months of my life. Mm-hmm. Profusely sweating. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Nothing was ever cool enough. I bought four fans to try and sleep at night and surrounded mm-hmm. my bed. I'd wake up every morning if I'd slept and it was like a, a waterbed. I have never been through such a cleanse, a detox or whatever in my life. And that's when it really hit me. I was like, okay, this was not just like, this was, this was a real thing. Because all my body knew was dark matter and coffee infused vodka. And where is that energy? You're not going to sleep. You're not going to get the same energy that way. So after a few months of eating way too many M&Ms, I was like, okay, let's move this now. And I, and I just, that's when I started looking at Orange Theory and rewriting my diet and speaking with Popeyes and, and the amazing people there about, I have, I have no idea what the fudge I'm doing, but I know that I am in a very unhealthy body and you need, I will trust you completely. So I had my, you know, the greens in the morning and, and the different cereals and the six snacks a day and everything. And I, and I went to Orange Theory every day, every day for like three or four months and then brought it back down when I was at a happy level with two or three a week and lost that 40-ish pounds, whatever it was, which was just, not that I was overweight before. I've never been, I've always been lucky. I've always thought I was an elephant. I always thought I was a disgusting, shriveled, horrible body. Hmm. But I, I've never been overweight per se, if mm. we're on, right? But I was technically like 15, 20 pounds overweight and I thought I was a tank. You know, you described the suffering in those two months. I'm sure there was some great suffering emotionally and psychologically too because there is security and comfort in our vices. I well, mean, that, no, one at work, no one at work knows that I'm doing this. Right. And yeah. the boss man knew about it. I, mm-hmm. I made sure I told John because when I had that realization and I, and I went in the next day and said, have you, have you noticed anything? And he's mm-hmm. like, I've noticed that you've been really tired some mornings, but I've never smelled alcohol or anything like that. Are you sure? I'm like, well, some nights I'm drinking until two and I'm here at seven. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, this is, I'm going to check in with you every single morning and you're going to reprimand or you're going to, whatever you've got to do. If, if I slip up, like do it because this is my dream. And if I throw this away, then it's because we've had this conversation and we've gone through a certain expectation of how I want you to manage this issue. 
And he said, well, I don't think I'm going to need to do that. But every day I checked in and then I started reaching out even more so and expanding my counseling to not just one person, but two or three. And to go back to that point earlier, again, much like a tattoo artist, if they're going to do something that's going to have a lifelong effect on you, don't be afraid to just chill out with a few of them and be frank. People are so scared of conversing. Say, I don't know if you're going to be my counselor. Yeah. I just want to get a feel for you. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't get the right feel, they won't be offended. Go somewhere else. And when you find that person, the growth you'll make will be unimaginable to you because they'll unlock doors that you didn't think could be open before. So it's completely okay to not, it, oh, I don't want to go to this counselor thing that's two blocks away. Well, you might have to drive an hour, but you've got to ask yourself, do I want to achieve self-love or not? And people say, oh, $150, $200 a session. That's so expensive. And it's like, it is you're huge. investing in your identity. True. You're, True. You're, you're investing in yourself, your future. But What's, at the same time, yeah. in a pandemic right now, yeah. you know, I just canceled five accounts yesterday. How are you going to find that 150 yeah. My partner, who was, sure. in her eyes, one session away from the biggest breakthrough of her 28-year battle, COVID hits. Hmm. And then she broke her ankle last week. Right. So hmm. she has no income now yeah. for two months. She's one session away. Uh, she hasn't got that money. Hmm. So yes, I mean, that's a wonderful thing to say. But at the same time, the, same time, the bulk of people are in a suppressed system a good where they don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. with me, when I've, I've left the zone and I had Great Western and I could utilize that, which sure. I was paying into, uh, now I'm looking at that and going, well, it was 25 for 40 minutes before and now it's going to be 105 yeah and so i've had to push back right yeah. so it, it that's the difficulty with this is that the systems in play are designed whether you like it or not call me crazy or not to keep certain demographics in certain positions mm -hmm. certain people in certain positions for sure so it relies on the individual what will you do to get it done yeah mm -hmm. and again if you don't ask you don't know there may be counselors that will give you three hours of free time, which I have had before, because they want to show you that you that this this trust that you feel can work. I was going to say, are, do and you now know, I've been with the same people for six years. Yeah, do you know of options available for those people who definitely need the counseling but don't have the money for it? I can absolutely link you guys that post interviews just so I don't misquote. Okay, sounds good. We'll, we'll put in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um. There are multiple, and especially for youth, if anyone's young listening to this, and I'm talking like 11 to 20 years old, you need to look up Foundry okay. immediately. Yeah. Which was, uh, you did a lot of work with them for, yeah. for the t-shirt campaign. The t-shirts, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to kind of pause here and just say thank you um, right in the middle of things because of um, how vulnerable and, and open you're, you have been and, and you continuing to be. And I think that's... Um, why people have um, people have really bought in and, and you've created these connections over the, the 10 years that you've been on the zone and, and also in the community doing, doing community work. Um, people just are really, they can relate because they have been in a position where they've been reliant on alcohol to sleep or victim of abuse or just having a really rough time. And I actually... Um, I hadn't even thought about this until the middle of the interview, but um, about five years ago when my dad passed away, um, I was driving out to work and listening to The Zone and you were on. And I recall um, it was something you said, it's probably something goofy and 
in one of your voices or whatever. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> but it was the first time that I'd smiled since my dad had died. Right. And it just like struck me and I got pretty emotional driving, driving out to work. And uh, I was just so grateful because it was like the first time that I could feel happy and, and not guilty about it since mm. my dad had passed. And I actually, I wrote you a message and you responded and it was a, it was a nice little thing. But um, that that's the sort of impact that that you make by being so willing to be vulnerable um and and you've done it through through the work that you do on the radio and and you're going to continue to do that undoubtedly with with where you're going forward and we'll get to that stuff but one one thing before moving on there um with the coping and i asked you about um what did you replace alcohol with in in your coping strategies and maybe that wasn't the right term because it, it it implied that you had to replace it with something and and possible that you were just ready to move past it um but the the actual question that i had as i you know talk myself into a circle here but where did music come into play with that coping um how did it insert itself or how did it become such a prominent part of your life and and was that part of the the coping mechanisms that you were using to deal with those challenges yeah that goes right back to when i was a kid so my dad's a real character. I love him to bits. He's a real character. And so we'd be driving around and they had a coach company. So I'm either on the coach, you know, with him and we're going to Swindon Towns, you know, to go and watch the game. And we did like the fan travel or whatever we're doing. I was always with him as much as I could be. And then afterwards I'll be brushing it out and cleaning it off with him when we get back to the yard. But he would always have a very particular set of CDs. And it would be Neil Diamond's Beautiful Noise album. Mm-hmm which for me is one of the greatest opening songs of all time. And that, the, the train, do you, do you know this, the, the, do you know that album, Beautiful Noise? No. So the song Beautiful Noise, you hear this like train coming in the distance, like choo, 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 and it's like this huge synth, bam, bam, bam. And it's just a synth. And then these sort of timpani, bum, 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 mm. bum. And then it comes Neil, it's a beautiful noise coming off of the tracks. And I just, was like, who is this silky smooth storyteller when I was 10? Yeah. And dad was like, that's Neil Diamond, son. I love Neil Diamond. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, like, here's, here's the Beatles. Neil Diamond, Beatles, ABBA, um, and a comedian called Jimmy Cricket, an Irish comedian who, much like I was talking about James Acaster, no swears. If you want to have, like, vintage, and there's very few on YouTube, search Jimmy Cricket, one of the most wonderful comedians, proper old school comedian. And we went through, we just circulated through that. And so I knew every Beatles song, every Neil Diamond song, every ABBA song, all their records. And then at home, then he would have obviously the the Zeppelins and the Pink Floyds and everything else when we'd go and sit in his closet. And so I have many, many pictures and many memories of me being in his office with him either, uh, is regaling me the right word, of himself on the organ playing along to it or I'd be sat on his lap in his green chair listening to because one of the most mind-boggling moments for me was when my dad brought home Coolio on cassette (laughs) and he walked in the door because he's got this Wiltshire accent and he got back from work and he walked in he went I'll see yous when you get there I'll see you when you get there son I'll see you when have you heard this one I'll see you when you get there (laughs) and I was like what on earth are you doing dad (laughs) 
that's Coolio. How do you know about Coolio? Because I'm like 15 at this point, whatever. <laughs> it's a beautiful song and the choir and the message. I bought it on cassette. One for me, one for you. Let's go and put it in both of them, A and B, and play them at the same time. And I was like, that won't work, I don't think. But let's, and we listened to that song like 15 times over. And so music for me, if I, because I just jumped from 10 to 15, when all those things happened, I would spend hours in either his office or in my room with the cassette player or if I could borrow his CD Walkman and just listening and then but then after I was abused really listening to what are these stories so it's not just a melody anymore like I felt like I went from 10 to 20 years old in a heartbeat mentally but physically didn't mature and was scared to until I was 21 22 23 if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so for me another reason that's why I've left the station to start my own thing because artists are so integral to one's happiness and millions upon millions happiness in ways that some people can't even comprehend or understand or can explain and artists are disrespected day after day they are not being paid or they are not being given the appreciative energy of which they've put into their art to supply positive energy for us if that makes sense they're just they are not being given their fair share absolutely and so for me every year that's passed since i've grown that self-love and strength of the zone and i couldn't quite get to where i'd like to go for whatever reason and i'm looking at all these bands and then i was in my own band uh, which was not you know just starting out i'm not saying it was a big deal but and learning then sugar honey ice and tea no one no one like you're gonna give me twenty dollars to drive an hour and play and i was like okay yeah this ain't gonna fly and so these are stories that you hear and tell you know and relate to i was like wow that is that's crap multiple shows that stinging bell played never got paid for it oh i thought we paid you that and promotion companies being like well, i'm pretty sure we mailed it it's lost in the mail we won't send it again mm. and so I'm not going to name names, but some of those companies in this town don't exist anymore because that's what they did. And karma's going to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. So you've got to treat people how you want to be treated. So music to me is massive because as soon as I had been abused, a couple of years later, I started to really wanted to get into like acting because that's where this multiple personality came from. Robbing, uh, watching Robin Williams and robbing his voices from him to try and do them myself. Whether it was Robin Williams films or Winnie the Pooh, it's, it's a go for it. Shay Winnie, she got some honey in there. Whatever it is, Underwater Man, I can't swim, I can't swim. Everything I could see on the TV, I copied, and I and then I went. This is John one, this is John two, John three, John four. So wherever I was, however I coped, I could click into all these different characters to get through that moment. Is that a way to hide? Big time. Because at the same time, there were things that mum and I had decided, let's, it's not fair because she'll hear this. And she, it's, you know, at, when I'm a kid and I was like, I, not, no one told me not to say anything. I was like, well, if the head teacher doesn't believe me, I'd say, oh, it didn't happen. It's not real. And as I said at the start of this chat or referenced earlier in the conversation, I still don't know what happened because I was out physically i know what happened i've had the ramifications of that for years uh for lack of gory details you know they Mm -hmm. they ripped and they changed some things and i have to that's Mm -hmm. i've got to i've got to deal with that so it used to petrify me what's my body going to do when i'm 80 Mm -hmm. and it can't heal as quick well that's a long way away so let's not get freaked out about that so 
in doing all these performances and then going into theatre and then musical theatre, which is what I did a lot of, a lot of musical theatre. That's why I don't mind getting all goofy <laughs> because my theatre teacher Clive said to me, if you're going to be a git, be a git with pride. If you're going to exert energy and you're going to showcase a playful or goofy or serious side of you, fully commit to it and do it. And I'll never forget that. And when I heard that, I was like, yes, okay. These characters are about to go up an uh, upper level. Mm -hmm. So music to me, as we go around all that context, when there could be even more, is literally, as many people might say, a lifesaver. The memories in particular of growing up and then getting into that teenage year of, of Lincoln Park and mm -hmm. Chester Bennington. I don't know if you heard that show the day that he passed and took his life. When I said to the boss, can I just make this all Lincoln Park for three hours? Mm. One of my proudest moments of my career is, you know, you, you think back to Alan Cross talking about when Kurt Cobain passed. Mm -hmm. And Alan Cross is the voice of rock and roll in Canada. I think there's a, there's a few things that maybe he needs to tweak to move forward um, and, and, and maybe not, but I won't, I, I won't speak any more on that. I think there's a few things that, you know, he needs to maybe consider opening up to because we're not in the early 2000s anymore. And, and he knows that, but with the content he churns out, he still churns out heavily 90s involved stuff. And I get it. That's, that was a big, big part of his life, but we're in, we're in 2020 right now. So what are these artists doing? And yes, he's done things on our... I'm, I'm, I'm gradually digging a grave. He's an incredible broadcaster. But that's the part of this mainstream corporate radio is that they still put the pressure on. I'm not saying I don't know if this is true. We've got to make sure we still play those hits from way back when, when there's all this new stuff sure. that we could be hard. Anyway, so my point is, for me, I remember hearing that audio and it was so powerful. And I was, and I, I'm really proud of the way that I did that because it was the most raw I've ever been. I remember distinctly when I was on the school bus to a theatre trip in London and I said, can we stop at the services on the way so I could run into the Shell garage and buy Meteora? I remember distinctly going back to the debut album when I bought Hybrid Theory with my best friend Alex. Mm. And listening to it and being like, we used to, we used to, I don't know if you did this, but with, you know, with the old Xboxes, they'd have those visualizers yeah so we would go down into his basement and we'd put the cd on or whatever music on and we'd put the projector on which his brother had and just listen and do other things that kids experiment with and be like whoa <laughs> look at these visualizations like i'm tripping out like he's singing about my life right now you know like somewhere i belong not in this mind in another where do i go somewhere i belong and so music is is is, is a massive part of my life I spend hours a day listening to music. You know, what's one of the more provocative parts of your whole story, John, is like you are known now for your voice, literally. But so much of your life has been trying to find your own voice. Yeah, and that's something. That's a great point. Right? And it's yeah. so provocative. So w when do you think or are you still trying to find three your authentic ago. voice? About three years ago? <laughs> so yeah. maybe take us through that a little bit. Like that was a profound realization to be like, you know, I've been playing all these characters. I've been having all these voices and it's been, it's been nice for me. Like it, it's able, it's probably helped you live and, and get through life. But at some point you have to fall into who you really are. Yeah. So take us through that process of how you did that. Cause I think a lot of people could benefit from learning how to do that. Well, I mean, firstly, everyone's on their own unique adventure through this fickle thing we call life oh, on the planet that we've decided to call earth. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, for me, with all that context that you've heard so far, if we go back to like five years ago, no, six years ago when I moved from the evening zone, evening and weekend into the midday, when Jeremy Baker had gone to see Fox in Vancouver. And one of the last things Jeremy said to me before I moved into midday was he's like, look, bro, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You cannot hit a home run every show. You cannot hit a home run every break. Just be you. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, you have improved so much through this time. Just be John Williams. Don't force it. You don't need to change anything because it's in the daytime and not the nighttime. And of course, back then I was like, oh, I've got a lot of work to do. I'm not going to be able to. I can do it. I can do it. But like, this is a big deal. It's the daytime. And we all put all this pressure on ourselves. Like whether you, when I was 16 and I've gone from being, oh, I got to do bananas and a salad now. I don't know if I can pack <laughs> that at Tesco's. You put all this pressure right, on yourself right. that if you could just remove that and go, yeah, dive in, let's do it. Right. And so that was when I was like, okay, what are the things about me that I don't like? I lie a lot and I've lied a lot to deflect for years. And that's when I started saying, I will no longer lie. Now, I'm not saying that I go around every day and, and have malicious calculated lies. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the small ones. Like, do you, what do you think of the tea? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for the whole, I had to drink four cups of that because I asked for a big tea pot. Thank you so much. I actually do like your tea. I'm just, no, I, could, I could tell. Well, <laughs> the, yeah, the old you might, might have lied about it, but you yeah. know, you're genuine now. Whatever it might be. Like, you know, <laughs> small things when someone says, did you, did you feed the dogs? And you're like, yeah, when you know that you're going to now find an angle to walk into the other room and quickly just drop the, the for, kibble in the bowl. Sure. I'm talking about those lies because yeah. for me, once I started honing in on that, I didn't realize the hundreds of small lies I would tell a day. Instead of just saying, I haven't got time to do that now. Can I do it tomorrow? Can we do this next week? You know, when someone texts you and says, can you hang out tomorrow? And you're like, it's tomorrow, it's 8 p.m. Oh, I don't know, this is a bit much. Now, yes, I could hang out tomorrow. No, it's 8 p.m. You just text back and say, ah, can I just, I was just sort of winding down. I know this is ridiculous. Can I just wake up tomorrow and see how I feel tomorrow? Why are we so petrified of being honest in the simplest of things every day you know i think that's a profound connection that i'm literally just making right now from what you're saying is often those little lies that we tell those misrepresentations stem from the fact that we're scared we don't have our own voice we can't speak confidently we're anxious we we want to people upset someone we want to people please right we don't want to rock the boat so we just say what people want to hear or say the safe thing and we're not using our voice like we're not representing ourselves. and i've never made that connect because because it's it's pretty easy to do that all the time and you don't you realize you don't have any idea it's so nonchalant it's That's, so subconscious yeah. it's, it's just it's like your brain no you know yeah. i was watching um because my partner's got a six-year-old so we're watching what was this kid's show yesterday and we're talking about you know how the brain works and the, and the kid was like is that electricity in the brain and like no we've put that spark in there to show you how the signals send and they just the brain just does it all yeah. by itself right so we don't realize just how comfortable we're doing with these things for now sure. for those people that are still listening to this thank you for listening for this amount of time <laughs> i'm gonna put this out there and then just think for 10 seconds about it think about the last little lie you told excuse and lie are the same thing And then think about the ramifications of that. Now, if you're in a relationship or you've got a dear friend, think of that last little lie that you said to them, which was an excuse that then weeks later or the next day, but time has passed, they go, oh, I thought you used to be really into that. I used to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then you think of the insecurity you've now embedded in your connection with that person. Yeah. Oh, I thought you liked that tea. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you drank a whole cup of it last time mm-hmm. while I was just being polite. Right. Oh, it's okay to say I don't like the tea. <laughs> Why do we hide it so much? Mm-hmm. Because then, then it comes internal. Because people think it's unkind to tell the truth. There's many reasons. But right. then what happens is you go away as the individual that's lied. And for me, I go, why the fudge did I do that? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I just say I don't want to do that? Mm-hmm. Like for me, when I, be, when I get offered interviews and I'm like, ah, does anyone else want that? And after a few years, I was like, I, I honestly, I don't really want to speak to this person because I know that this other DJ loves them. And I'd, can you do that? Okay, great. Yeah, thanks. Instead of me just spending three emails going, oh, I don't really know if I've got the time for it. Come on, I'm just wasting my own Brian's time, who I love, who's got other shit, other sugar, honey, ice, and tea to do. <laughs> so, to, to get so to get back to your point, um, that was the big marker I made for myself, which is I've got to cut out these lies, and then when you cut all those away, then I'm going to start to make massive headway into this battle into this journey to the situation was it because you were lying to yourself as well yes exactly right because then when you tell a certain amount when you for me it's like if i drove to this house five times i wouldn't get lost like i did this morning because the muscle memory will build it in Mm -hmm. and that's the other thing is your brain muscle memory will when you now think about all these little lies or excuses you give and that these are like tiny negative pellet these are like bb gun bullets yeah. of negativity yeah. boom, 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 boom. and you don't realize that really if you actually looked back and collected your last month of them you could fill yeah. your bathtub with it yeah. and it would blow I'd never had that come into my mind before that description but I'll go with it yeah. it will yeah. blow your mind because we are so it's just, it just happens you know so for me hi, harnessing that and getting rid of that was the massive bit of mm. it and then with the work I had with multiple com- counselors and conversations conversation with counselors there we go that's the right way around and then really working on myself on the accountability for it it's terrifying though telling the truth and being yourself because then if people reject those two things they've rejected you right if they reject a persona yeah. or a fake self or a character well that's all right that's not me anyways but when they reject you when you put yourself out there and be vulnerable and they're like i'm not having it or i don't like it that's terrifying i mean it could be you know, and traumatizing yeah. too. So, or, or freeing because then you're like, okay, maybe this isn't the right person for me. Maybe, right. maybe there's something yeah, about this person that, that we don't jive well. Or maybe, you yeah. know, now that I'm being totally real with them, they're like, well, maybe they're not real. And so they can't cope with your, you know, yeah. honesty. Exactly. True. True. Because right. again, life's systems and the way the world goes puts us into certain things. Also, if you want to be in radio, you might go to BCIT and do and broadcasting or RIP to that great course that they did here on the island. And then by proxy, you're working in this radio family and you can say family, but that's not how everyone looks at it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. And it's like, it's okay, let's strip that away. You go to high school, you're in high school. These are high school friends. You leave high school and you're like, actually, I don't relate to this person. I don't yeah. really want to hang out with this person. Exactly. And so I was having this conversation with my partner last night when we were talking about friends back in the day that we realize, you know, I had a set of friends that were just because they had a great set of bongs. Yeah. No, so for sure. they lived at the end of the road when I lived near <laughs> to where we're at right now. Yeah. And I've, walk down the corner and they would always play Rainbow Six Siege when that first came out and 
uh, <laughs> and I would just go over there and, and if I had a bad day I'm like can I come over and hit the gravity bong and <laughs> yeah. just shut the brain down fall asleep sure. on their couch for half an hour wake up and the bulk of that house are my best friends um, so just in case they're listening to this like uh, it's not you uh, you'll know the per- it's not yeah um, <laughs> but it was your bongs <laughs> it, yeah no yeah. but yes but um, <laughs> you, you realize that you have those connections you, you made the point and I'm backing it up and, and just repeating essentially the same things that I don't need to which is yeah you realize oh okay now that we're being authentic here it's okay maybe we just don't maybe just won't, we just don't gravitate properly yeah. once you get past that fear it's empowering like Andrew was saying and then it feels good because mm-hmm. it's like hey you know that's who I am and if you're not into it that's fine yeah and yeah. growth isn't linear and, and people experience it at different times and, and get what they're ready for mm-hmm. and I, so it something that I wanted to chat about was, um, and this totally relates is there's been over the years relationships that you've formed with listeners who at one point were highly triggered or bothered by some of the stuff that you were saying and ended up that now you've said in the past are some of your biggest advocates. Yeah. So I wonder what, what about what you were saying was so triggering or offensive to them. And, and then also how that relationship developed well because the so the reason i was really annoying on the radio for the first three years is because i was trying so hard Mm -hmm. trying so hard to keep a job that in england anywhere it's so hard to get in the door and then not knowing how radio was in canada and their protocol towards firing people knowing that i'd lied about my mental health and so I had to try and keep a certain character and not ever seem upset or, you know, get into rages because I, from all, I was speaking about this again with my partner last night because we both connect on how we've had to really work on not raging. And I'm not saying I beat people to a pulp. I'm saying like I used to scream because I vocalize everything. Yes. So if I dropped, like the other day we were making breakfast and I was so hungry and I dropped my grilled cheese on the floor and it took so long to make it. And I was not having a good morning that morning. It's like two days ago. And I stared at it on the floor. And I thought I looked at it for like a second and then went, well, I can't eat that now. Because her six-year-old son's there as well. I I don't want to like just go, you know, in front of him. And we spoke about this last night. She went, hey, just out of interest, how long do you think you were looking at the floor? And I said, just a couple of seconds. She went, you were staring at it for about 35 seconds. Wow. What was going on in your mind? Because I think it's what I do. And I said, in my mind, I was screaming. Hmm. I wanted to scream out loud. Fucking can't believe I dropped this, you idiot. Mm-hmm. And so to go back before I go off on an offshoot, in those first few years, these people that were writing and some very disgusting and some waiting with certain things to be physically threatening uh, when I was overnight and whatnot, it's because they saw through. This is all BS, man. This is not who you are and I don't like it. What are you doing? Mm. This isn't. This doesn't work for me. And so as I grew up and matured and discovered not the end of the battle, but a a really strengthened foundation of self-love and respect for myself now and knowing after feeling that like no one, I still honestly feel that people just don't get me and loads, loads of people are going to feel that. That's not, that's not an original thing for me. Like I honestly feel that a lot of the time people just don't get me. Now, is that because I haven't conversed properly or shown who I am and my true elements and, and, and outlook? Or is it just because they just see some of that and they don't want to jump into that conversation or that, so they just they keep that boundary there. 
So as I grew and found more security within myself, so too, if you've both been listening for all these 10 years, you've heard my voice literally change. Like it's mixed a bit more Canadian nuance and and lazy words being uh, thrown together and and more of a less like clarity and diction and da-da-da-ba. Canadians are very, it's a lot more like you're pouring, you, you put the honey in the tea. So it's got that, it's all mixed together and it's smooth and it's lovely. I'm not insulting it, but it's a very different linguistic style to right. England. It's very this, 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 right. that, yeah, pro- yeah. That, 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 no matter where you're from. Whereas over here, it's like, yeah, by the way, that's going to go with the fly, a great Canadian kid. Oh, the words like, kind of fall out of the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. wonderful, but yeah. <laughs> I've morphed because I also, because I copy accents so much. So my voice has changed. If you look back at any videos of me from 15 up, whenever I guess I was caught on camera, every year my accent is different. Yeah. And it, it used to really piss me off because I was like, what am I doing? And I think maybe it's just, I'm constantly, it's just a constant evolution. So, and, and I had a girlfriend a few years ago when she was in town, uh, a girlfriend from years ago who was in town a few years ago. And she was like, your laugh is not the same laugh. And I was like, yeah, like my laugh changes every six, seven weeks. Yeah, yeah. And so many people do that when you think of partnerships or relationships where you're like, I laugh like you now. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's true. It's, it's yeah, not, it's not a, sure. like I'm trying to copy or be better. It's no. like, that's a, I love you. I've connected. I, I'm it's just true. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right? Yeah. So it's good to evolve as no, well. For so sure. to, 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 to stop dancing around the point, these people, as much as they've been pissed off or annoyed by me, have still listened, which I am blown away by. But at the same time, we all do this. We all love a good complaint. We all love being that one person that can walk into a circle and say, you like Russell Brand? Yeah. That guy's a... Yeah. And that's not because I don't like him. I like him. Yeah, Russell, if you're I'm, listening... I'm not I mean, going to pay to we... go to the show that was going to be at the Farquhar that would require a remortgaging <laughs> yeah. uh, because I can watch everything you're going to see on stage on YouTube for free. So I'm already enlightened. I don't need to be in there, be in, there in person, I'm afraid, Russell. Um, I used to detest him because he got that MTV job and he was clearly on cocaine and ecstasy and everything when he was live. Mm-hmm. And he did not appreciate it. And for me, having worked so hard for so long, and yes, he is 10 years older, I remember saying to my parents, that is exactly what I'm not going to bloody do if I get... And now, as it turns out, I, got, I, I did form an addiction of my own. So... Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah <laughs> right it's so i can relate to that now and that's why then when i got through that and started looking at him and then he has been so open on his journey he's not the messiah of information he's not the be all and end all of information but the frankness and the openness i'm now like that guy's my dude now mm-hmm. like at least you know he's not as far as we know he's not trying to pull the curtains over your eyes so these people gave me the time despite still not liking me for whatever reason that might be and then as i grew up and they grew up too and as I became more secure in sharing those things, whatever it might be, I can't speak for them, but I think that started to relate more. They were like, okay, this, this, is, this is not the kid. This is the guy. I get this guy now. Okay, this makes sense now. And so as I grew in that strength with myself and shared more and more about it, I haven't had anyone complain about me. I've had one person in like four or five years. And that's because whenever I got complaints, I would always say, thank you so much for listening. And never feel like you can't tell me how I or anyone or this station makes you feel because it's all growth. That's not verbatim what I said. It's been different things around that sentence over the years. But I've always met it head on. I see you and I appreciate that. You're listening. You don't have to listen to me. 
thank you for listening and it might be why it's on the effing i'm on the work site and the boss flipping loves you and i can't change it and i'd say that really does suck man but just know that when i come on that you know that you can just turn your ears off for 60 seconds to a minute and a half because even though it seems like i speak a lot it's usually pretty well within that it's just a lot being thrown at you in that time which Mm. then sounds Mm. and seems like it's a five minute chat so i think those people have just been kind enough through their own journey and i can't speak for them to just grow alongside me maybe they had similar things happen to them and had insecurities like me that meant that they had to find ways to poke and prod but i also think people are typically hard on people who they know aren't authentic exactly you know well, I mean? so like, i'm in a position to affect change in the community yeah and the, the number one thing i got was why is there this effing english guy here and who is he because i don't think this i don't think he knows who he is that mm. was emails that the boss and i would get a lot in the first exactly. three years and they were right totally because they were like, right even they're if part of the, the part of my journey i'm thankful for it because because mm-hmm. once somebody knows who they are even if it's someone that you don't really get you respect them because it's like they're being truthful yeah in, in how they behave yeah you need to be called out like it's a yeah. looking back now it probably wasn't a, a nice thing to read when boss man brought you the complaint emails but it called out some truth and was Absolutely helpful in truth. Growth. and that's what we were talking about in the foyer and we were like let's actually turn the mics on and talk for twenty eight thousand hours about this <laughs> yeah. but was my boss in that moment the way he handled it was he was he sat and leant back in his chair and he's like well let's let's look at this so you refer to yourself as john mate why is that your moniker i said well there was lots of johns in schools people have read the bible there's lots of johns in schools in england where every school is essentially a church of some form yeah and so because i was that quirky outgoing multifaceted multi-charactered friend mate you're john mate because I was everyone's friend or everyone knew me in school because I was all over the place. Not, not necessarily that I revealed my true intention to all of them, but it was John, mate. He can walk in a room and work it. Mm-hmm. That's great. And he was like, well, but you're Jonathan. What's your name? I was like, well, I'm Jonathan Anthony Edward Williams. He went, so you should go on the radio tonight and say, hi, everyone. You're in the zone. I'm Jonathan Anthony Edward Williams. Hmm. And I said, no. Nah, and I battled him so hard on that. I'm like, no. They don't want the English guy here, and then you want the English guy to go on the radio and announce his 73 names. (laughs) How pompous is that? And he's like, no, it's not. It's you. You need to say it over and over again. I'm Jonathan Anthony Edward Williams. I am Jonathan Anthony Edward Williams. I am Jonathan Anthony Edward Williams. And my boss, who I call one of my Canadian dads, Mm -hmm. he doesn't know it, but he's an essential counselor to me too. He has been so patient and so calm in walking along this journey where I have pushed him tenfold with mood swings or attitude or this is what this has got to be or I won't do this and I'd like to do that. And the whole way he's let me decide how I would interpret and react to what he had suggested. And so he said, just so you know, after like two or three days of talking about it, there is no more John mate. That needs to go in order for you to grow. It's gone. And if you do say John mate again, and you go on the air and say, I'm saying it because the boss won't let me say it, then I will have to warn you about that. Mm-hmm. A verbal warning or whatever it was, but I'm not going to do that because you're not going to do it, but you have to drop this in order to grow. And that was a massive change. And that was a few months into being there on trial. And for two years, I didn't say Jonathan Antio. The first show I did, because I knew he was listening that night at 12 o'clock at night. I was like, hi, that was Phoenix with 1901. No, Listomania. Um, 
because it's after a, a famous composer from Hungary uh, list in the uh, 1700s who used to come out wearing green gloves and throw them down dramatically and then smash his hair back. He was like he was like One Direction before One Direction. <laughs> they were called One Direction. Anyway, look him up. Um, Ernst, Ernst List, I think his name was. Forget now, Hungary, seventeen or eighteen hundreds. But he saw you. Star. Is your point? Like, like John Shields saw the real you. Go on and, and say was this. like, "Be yourself." Yeah, that's essentially. He the message. saw the, what I had revealed right. in that moment. He was like this passionate young man who yeah. loves music. You need to refer to yourself as yourself. Right. Um, if there's someone listening to this that works at the station now, this last five minutes is huge to them, and I'd like them to. And this is cheekily because I'm sort of telling you what to do if you're listening. This individual really sit and think about this last five minutes and about where you're going moving forward and about how you want to address yourself. Um, and I know that's very cloak and dagger, but um, a lot of people are trying to find themselves. And so that might mean requiring to change an outfit or a name or something, right? So you got to stay true to who that is. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it's nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well, uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourself. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles. <laughs>